Hey everyone, and welcome to SermonCast, a Cheyenne Hills podcast where you can find just the message portion of our services each week. We hope this gives you the opportunity to better digest the teaching portion of our services, whether listening to them again or hearing them for the first time. And now, here's today's message. He's a rootin' tootin' son of a gun from old Y.O. Was anybody there last night? Oh my gosh. I wasn't, I stayed up and watched every second of it and it was exciting and just amazing. I mean, uh, fun time. Uh, For those of you that don't really like football season, I'm sorry. It's football season and some of us, you know, some of us have kind of left you know, on COVID, we left everything, it seems like. And then there's some things that kind of come back. And and uh, for me personally, I just, uh, this is that time of year that I was like, I just feel like getting the whiteboard out and drawing a play or two, just making myself feel good. Um, probably won't. Karsten might, just to make it, he's, he's probably on a roll right now today. So it feels pretty good. It feels good for us all. But um, but this week I was doing a little bit of, uh, I don't know, Googling around, and I thought I'd check in on CU, because down there is Deion Sanders, you know, Coach Prime, and his sons, and all this, and it's, it's just intriguing to me, and I just thought, I'll just check in on him and see what's going on, and I watched, a, by the way, I got a little bit of a tickle in my throat, so I'm going to try to not to cough too much, but I'm going to try to keep soft, but I, I watched a, a, um, what do you call it? A little, one of those clips. And and he had his old teammate, Michael Irving, from the Dallas Cowboys, come and speak to the players at CU, the CU Buffs. And I will tell you, I'm not going to go through the whole speech, but it was one of the best pep talks, speeches, to really any kind of audience that I, and especially a football audience of players, but it was a great speech. And I just thought, man, this is good stuff. And so I'm going to tell you just a little bit about that speech, and then I'm going to baptize it, and I'm going to use it today. His speech was this. He says, basically, you know, you guys are skilled. Your skill is going to, it's what got you on this field. He was talking to the football players on the field. Your skill got you on this field. Your speed, your strength, your, you know, vertical jump, your ability, your, you know, all those things. Your skill got you on this field, but your will will determine your trajectory off of this field. And he gave some examples, and he said, you know, your will is, has got to match your skill. And there's a lot of people who have skill, but they don't have the will. And your will is what stands across from that guy and says, I'm sorry, but today, this is my moment, and I'm going to have to beat you today. It was a pretty good, it was, it was a whole bunch more than that. But I thought it was, I'm going to take that and baptize it just a little bit. Because in Christendom, we have this idea of of knowledge. Knowledge would be like your skill. Your knowledge gets you on the playing field. Your knowledge of, you know, knowing God. It's important. It's extremely important. But your, not necessarily your will, but your self-control will determine your trajectory off of this field. Your self-control, the way you conduct yourself... With the knowledge that you have. Yes, do we need knowledge of God? Absolutely. Do we need self-control? We do. It's the last of the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Those are the good ones. I mean, that's like, those are like strawberries, bananas, and peaches, you know? Self-control is a little, it's fruit, um, but it's more like a tomato. Not everybody likes tomatoes. I like tomatoes, but I don't like them in my ice cream. I've never asked for a tomato shake. Strawberry, yes, banana, yeah, all that. 
So it's a kind of unique one. And, and this is the one I think is, is crucial because it's the last of the list. But it's, it's the one that's like, it's kind of like, a, uh, does that one have to be? Love, joy, peace. Oh, I like those. Patience is a tough one. We had to get over that one. Thank you, Carson, for taking that one. And then, but self-control is is one on the list that's extremely important. And, it, and it's like the athlete's will that matches his skill. And if his will will match his skill, there's a good chance he's going to play on Sundays. Our knowledge, we have knowledge of God. We can be a, you know, just because we're a smarter sinner doesn't mean we're more like the Savior. We have to have some self-control. It goes with that. And the degree of self-control that matches your knowledge of God, that will determine, not whether you play on Sundays, but it'll play, probably determine, I don't know, rewards in heaven for sure. Maybe even whether you have heaven or not. That's not my job to decide, but it's one of those I need to warn you about. Today we're going to talk about self-control. Dallas Seminary had during chapel time. You know, they, they told us, it's like, we're going to give you the best education your money can buy. But the, the really the character development and all those things, that happened, you know, it's, it's going to happen in chapel. It's going to happen. And they encourage you to go to chapel. A lot of guys didn't go to chapel. I, went, I, missed, I didn't miss a chapel. Because at the chapel, and, and when I was in seminary, it was brutal. I would say one-third of chapel services was on some type of character, fidelity, morality, self-control type issue. It just beat us over the heads because at that particular time, there was many pastors falling in, in the area of morality. And they just beat us over the head with this. You know, you can have all this knowledge, but if you don't have character, if you don't have self-control... I went back and listened to a, a, a sermon. I saw Swindoll, and I thought, man, this is the same era. I, wonder if, I wondered if, you know, I might have heard this sermon, and I've probably heard one like it, and I listened to it. I got some of the things I took from his sermon uh, in my sermon today, challenging us with this idea of self-control. It's essential. It's one of the, the fruit of the Spirit. It's the last one in the list, and we're going to talk about it today. I really liked what, uh, I wish I could bottle this up, um, continuing on with the, the Michael Irvin, uh, Irving um, pep talk. He was talking about how every time, you know, he would, he would be across from Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders was probably the, one of the greatest corners that ever lived, and Michael Irvin is arguably one of the best receivers. But he said every time they would come around and start playing the 49ers, that's Jerry Rice, <laughs> He would make sure, he said, I'm not going to give, give you a playoff. Every play in practice, every down, everything we do, I'm going to push you to the max because I want you to be prepared to be able to guard Jerry Rice. And I just thought that was, it was, he owed that to his friend, I'm going to push you. And I wish I could bottle that stuff up and we could use it in Christendom. I would wish that we could use that in the church. I wish I could come up and say, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to push you to self-control. I'm going to do everything I can to push, push you to character, morality, having this fruit of the Spirit as a part of your journey of self-control and being able to come up to you and say, I, I just want you to know, I'm going to give you, I'm going to push you in every way to make sure to expose any kind of crack in your maneuvering as a defensive back, any kind of crack in your character as a Christian. We don't do that. We're a little bit too nice, I think, probably. 
But if you have a person like that that cares about you enough to push you in this area of self-control, you're one of those unique people. Because you got somebody, a friend that's good enough to say, hey, you know, this matters. This, this taming the tongue matters. This, this attitude matters. This place that you're living in matters. This hole that you've dug for yourself in discouragement matters. And I care for you. Self-control, I think, can help in a lot of these areas. So I hope you'll stick around. I hope you won't exit this message. Now, I don't think you'll probably get up and leave, but I hope your mind doesn't get up and leave. I hope you'll continue, not just the end of the message, though. I hope you'll continue to the end where this message makes a difference in your life. Self-control. Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, verse 23. We will go through the fruit of the Spirit. We've been doing this several times, and but here it is. But the fruit of the Spirit is, here we go. Here's the strawberries and bananas. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. These are the fruit. These are the things that God does in us. The definition of self-control is this, pursuing out from within oneself, but not by oneself. I thought this was good. Self-control. You need someone to walk with you in this. It's not just by yourself. It comes from within oneself, the self-control. But it's not by oneself. It, it, it's lived out within community. It's lived out in your marriage. It's lived out with people around you. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. See, you need someone to walk with you on these things. Because sometimes we can see this so clearly in other people's lives. It's just so easy to see. It's really difficult to see this in our lives. And I hope that you are willing to take this kind of inventory as we march through. In Acts 24, Paul was, uh, had been in prison in Caesarea by the sea. If you've ever been to Israel, you know that there's two Caesareas. There's Caesarea by the sea, which is right north of, of Tel Aviv. It's a Roman outpost. It's, uh, there's a hippodrome there. Everything Roman is there. There's a theater there that looks out over the Mediterranean, drop-dead gorgeous. There's, there's uh, ruins of where uh, palaces were. It's, it's, it's an amazing place. So it's where the Romans would go after they'd been policing the Jewish state, if you will, and they'd go there, and they could be full-on Roman. That's Caesarea by the sea. Fascinating place. Paul was in prison there for two years. Um, he stood before uh, Festus. Festus didn't know what to do with him. He kept him in prison. And, and this is where Paul ap appealed to Rome. He said, listen, I'm a Roman citizen. I'm appealing to Caesar on this. Um, uh, Agrippa comes along, King Agrippa, and he's, he has this moment, and Paul speaks to Agrippa. They just keep him in prison, and finally Felix, I think, comes along, and Felix was a governor, and they wanted to hear what Felix had to say. And so Paul got an audience with all these three leaders while he was in kind of a house arrest, if you will, at Caesarea by the sea. There's also Caesarea Philippi. That's way up north. That's where those idols are. I've talked about Caesarea Philippi. But so sometimes people get those two mixed up. But those are the two Caesarea that you come to and if you're doing some traveling in Israel. In the, so in Acts 24, verse 25, Paul had been there about probably about two years. And he stands before, I believe it was Felix. And this is what he said. You think about this. After all the things that Paul could have thought about saying, he'd been in house arrest. 
And here's what he said to the leader. Once he finally gets a chance, an audience before a governor, if you will. Somebody that could, could, could choose his, his destiny, set him free even from these, these chains. This is what he says. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And here's what Felix did. Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. And I think it's a little bit how we are when we come to talk, to talk about this topic of self-control. That's enough. You may leave. That's about all I want to hear about it today. I hope you'll stick through to the end in your mind and in your heart. And really, really maybe challenge that person across from you. And that person maybe is looking you in the mirror and say, you know, today, I just want you to know. You're not going to beat me today, flesh. You're not going to beat me today, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Self-control is the one that will stand up and stand against those things. I want to read this out of the New Living Translation because sometimes you read it out of a different translation. It gives you more insight. And so this is what it says out of the New Living. As he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the coming day of judgment, Felix became frightened. And he says, go away for now, he replied. When it's more convenient, I will call for you again. So I think it's interesting just to think about the three things that Paul just chose to talk on. Righteousness of God. He talked about the self-control of man. He talked about the judgment which is to come. I don't know if I was going to give an account for myself and try to, try to please some governor or something. I'm not sure. Those are some pretty bold statements, wouldn't you say? Those are uncomfortable things. Hey, I've heard enough for now. I, I need to go chew on this a little bit, and maybe I'll bring you back, maybe I won't. It's kind of what, what I take from this particular passage. I don't know if you've heard about AI. It's artificial intelligence, and uh, um, we talked about it a little bit in a, a series or two ago, and there's more things coming out about it, but apparently now there's an AI Jesus. Didn't know if you knew this. A group of, from Germany has been able to, to come up with this, and this group from Germany apparently are... I don't know if they're atheists, but they're non-believers. But they, fortunately for us, they've given us what Jesus would say about particular topics. So you can type in a particular topic. And what you get back is love, 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 love. I mean, it is mushy, Jesus-y, God loves you, do whatever the heck you want, love. I would guess, and I'm, I haven't looked at it, I've just been told about it, I heard it on a podcast, and, and they were telling us, like, you know, it's more very much on the prosperity or feel-good gospel, if you want to call it that, which makes perfect sense. But I'm pretty much sure that you're not going to see AI Jesus talk about righteousness or self-control or a coming judgment. Those are uncomfortable topics. But I will tell you, people that can face those topics... And people that have been trained by those topics, when you're re you'll be ready for those topics. You say, you know what? I've been living a life ready for just by the power of God in me to stand before my God, knowing that the blood of Jesus, which we just took communion of, has covered my sin. And I understand when I stand before God, I've got to get him a, give an account. That should make a difference on how I do self-control today. 
it all fits together, but it's a different kind. You're not probably going to see it in AI Jesus. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28 says this, A man without self-control is like a city broken into, left without walls. I like the message version of that. It says this, A man without self-control is like a house with its doors and windows knocked out. There are a lot of people in our world that are very effective people. But when it comes to self-control, the doors and windows are knocked out. It's not a sealed up place. I've been doing some reading and some, I don't know, just listening to some things about um, World War II and, um, and, and, and Churchill. And so this is kind of fresh in my mind, so I don't mean to be picking on Churchill, but he's, he's probably a good one to, as an example. Um, he is certainly, you have to hail his accolades of valor, of courage under fire. Probably the reason we're not speaking German today, he's probably one of those human reasons that uh, came against the evil of his day. And he was tough enough and had the metal enough inside of him to do it. But when it comes to self-control, you might want to have a different model. There might be somebody else. I mean, you talk about his tongue was, was one that is the wit and wisdom of, of, uh, of Churchill is, is amazing. I mean, it's funny and everything, but it's like, I can see why he was, he was uh, for four years, I believe it was four years, he, he was the prime minister of England. And then as soon as the war was over, he got voted out. And I think this is just me guessing, but it's like, if you listen to his life, there wasn't a whole lot of attractive about his personal life that people liked being around. They really liked his strength of character and going coming against the enemy. At that time, it was Germany. And uh, in, in, engaging America and all those things that he was able to do. Just, you know, he hails accolades. But his, his internal personal life, this gives you maybe just some example of it. Um, this is his wit and wisdom of Churchill. One of his secretaries, he had several secretaries. He had two, he had to take two baths every day because he's obsessed with baths. He would do a lot of his work in a bath with his cigar and his secretary in there. Quote, I mean, okay, it's a mental picture. I'm telling you, this is the picture I got too. It's weird. Um, and he's going through his mail and everything like that. And if he didn't have his bath, there was one time when he was in France and he didn't have his bath, wasn't ready. And he was just furious, you know, but he wasn't the easiest human to be around. Let's just get that out there. Um, but here's one of the things that the, one of his secretaries said to him one time and says, if I were your wife, I would take my life. <laughs> and he replies, if I were your husband, I would give you the arsenic. <laughs> I don't know. Just not, not a real control of the tongue. Can you see the windows and doors kind of broken out of that house? One of the, one of the quotes that you've probably heard this is he gets on an elevator, you know, and, uh, and uh, is one of his secretaries, maybe it's the same one, I don't know. He had some different secretaries. He did a lot of dictation. He just spoke, and he expected it to be perfect. As it, when it came out, he had it, and that was a big, big thing for him is to have someone to dictate everything he did. But anyway, uh, everything he said. And then uh, he gets on the elevator, and this woman says, Sir Churchill, you're drunk. And he goes, Ma'am, you're ugly. <laughs> In the morning, I'll be sober. It'll hit you later. Uh, it, it's a it's a time delayed kind of a laugh, but it's a kind of thing comes out of a person's mouth. You go, wow, I, you know, 
I can see he, he just angered a lot of people. You can kind of see that. His, there, there's a lot of knowledge, a lot of skill. We've got to match that with self-control. And if we don't tame this tongue, and I used an example here, and I, you know, I hope not to disgrade, degrade, I mean, it was factual, I don't mean to degrade him at all. But at the same time, it's like, you can ex extreme a lot of extreme greatness in this world, but without self-control to go with it. You're missing a lot of what I think the way that you'll go into the annals of history and maybe even heaven itself. Self-control. I read one quote, it says, like a boar in God's vineyard is a life without self-control. Think about this, a vineyard, you know, just beautiful vineyard. I've, I've driven, you've been driven by vineyards before and you just marvel at the, at the amount of work and the manicure. It's just beautiful and there's no weeds. And it's like, I don't know how you do this. Can you imagine a boar, a, a, a wild boar, some, something just comes and tears up all that or tears through uh, different places in a vineyard? It would just, it'd be sickening. It'd tear down fences. It would, it would tear down vines. It would just, you would just leave these tracks of, of like a boar in a vineyard is someone without self-control. Look at your own life. That's what I want you to do. Let's don't dwell on Churchill. Let's dwell on the person in the mirror. What does it look like? Do you, do you have some, this kind of self-control? Can you control your tongue? Here's what Paul says about, not necessarily self-control, but he's definitely talking about self-control in Romans chapter 7. I'm going to read this out of the message. I think it's, uh, it's just unpacked so well, I hardly even need to stop. But I'm going to, I'm going to stop after paragraph 1 and, and make some comments. But Romans 7 is Paul wrestling with the flesh. Wrestling with this battle that we have between the flesh and the spirit. This is what we've been talking about in Galatians. The deeds of the flesh are evident. Strife, enmity, lust of the flesh, all that stuff. The, the fruit of the Spirit, that's what comes from God. And those two are in a battle. And this is what he says about it in Romans chapter 7, verse 17. It says this, but I need something more. For I know the law, but I still can't keep it. If the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. This is Paul writing. This is... This is an apostle writing, saying this is his struggle. Don't, don't miss that part. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decided I decide to do good, but I really, I really don't do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every time. He is articulating the secret of every one of our human experiences. We want to do good, but, but sin's right there with me. And the good that I do that I, I don't even, doesn't even come out right. I do it out of false motives. The message unpacks it so much differently, and, and I, think it's, I think it's good to read it out of a different uh, translation sometimes so we can get maybe work it into our, the pores of our life and not just walk over it. But, you know, we want good things, sweet things to come out of our mouth, but critical things come out. How much is it easier to talk about a critical thing? Juicy gossip. Man, that is more fun to talk about. Chatter. That chatter, it's just, it's... It's easy. It's wonderful. It's, 
it's enticing. And as much as you, you feel cruddy after you engage in it, it's like, you can't stop it. Hey, did you hear this? Self-control. I've seen, seen people, you know, when they, especially when they first come to faith in the Lord, and then one of the things that, that they, they, they become very, they start seeing some of this stuff in their own life. And swearing is one of the first things that happens. They'll start, they'll say a word, and it's like, ah, you know, man, sorry. I did, you know, they can't, it used to, didn't even notice they swore. Now, because the Spirit of God's in them, it's like, oh, they notice it now. They may even uh, say apologies for it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. But it's like this, this battle going on, and, and quite frankly, the fact that they're seeing it, they're winning some battles. Before, they didn't even see it. Now it's showing up on the radar. Self-control is rising in their lives, and they're starting to, the Spirit of God's starting to convict. Say, hey, hey that's, let's don't use that one. There's another word we can use. Verse 21, he says, he continues on, he goes this, it happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me uh, covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there... No one who can do anything for me. Isn't that the real question? Verse 25. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. The message just, just kind of unpacks it in a whole different way, but it lets us see this battle that's real in our soul. Paul articulates it and says, hey, I got it too. I'm loaded with it. He calls himself the greatest of sinners. Now, when people see that, they go, well, I wonder if maybe Paul wasn't even saved. You know, he didn't have the spirit of God. And if he says he's the greatest of sinners, he says, no, see, the, 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 the closer you are to Christ, the greater the amount of sin that you see in your life. The further you're out from Christ, it's like you don't even see sin. It's like, I don't know. You ask the man on the street that doesn't know anything about God, and he's like, are you a good person? You go to heaven. Yeah, why? Well, they haven't killed anybody, haven't robbed a bank. That's the, that's the standard. You ask somebody that's trying to walk with Christ, and it's like, oh, my gosh. You know, I, I, I have doubts, and I have lack of faith, and I, I say things I wish I wouldn't say, and then I have attitudes that I know aren't right, and I, I have trouble, you know, I'll praise God one day, and the next thing with stuff will come out of my mouth. That's a person that's getting closer to Christ. They're starting to see stuff. And when you see stuff and you recognize it in the mirror and you, you start correcting stuff and you go, wow. And Paul is at this fine level, in my opinion, he's at this fine level of, of you know, nuances of, fine nuances of sin and still saying, man, I'm, I'm loaded with it. How do I escape this? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. That's the answer. The only way we can escape this, the only way we can deal with this is what Casey came out and led us through is to remember one thing, that Christ broke his body and he shed his blood for the sinners like you and me. And we stand humbly before the throne of grace by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that causes us to be worthy. Nothing in us causes us to be worthy. Stand before holy God. 
when you can come to that understanding, now you can see the Spirit of God starting to grow in you. And you're going to be sensitive. You're going to see stuff in your life. When the first time that I, I really recognized this in my life uh, was in this area of gentleness. I told you probably the, the battle that I, that I struggled with was, was anger. It's a generational uh, sin in my family. It's what I learned. It's how you control life. It's what you do. Things go, you know, that's just, that's just that's the way to respond. And I just realized, I even came to the point, I was in my 20s, right out of college, and it's like, man, I'm, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. How can a Christian be this kind of, have this kind of, of anger, this kind of visceral reaction to saying, it wasn't righteous indignation. This was just flat out, I got angry about stuff. And, um, and I just said, God, I, I really did. I came to the point of just surrender. I said, God, you got to take this. I am so sorry. This is not how I want to be. I don't want to respond to life like this. And I can tell you, though, it's a long story, but I will tell you the first thing I recognized is gentleness. There was things that would happen, uh, you know, a week or so later, and, and I would think to myself, and it was like, no big deal. And, and I would think to myself, a week or two or a month or two ago, I would have lost my cool over that. And now it's like, it's no big deal. And I recognized that is the, that's gentleness. There is a gentle, there's like God just kind of put a big blanket around. I was just my prayer life too, that he would. But he almost put a big blanket around that area of my life that I could not control on my own. And God put it controls in my life. If I'm perfect in that area, no. Do I know, and I know, I know how to put the blankets around. I know how to say, God, you need to help me. I know when I get, you know, I get the, get worn through. It's like, God, I need you to help me. Help me to hold my tongue. Help me to deal with this. And so I've got some tools for sure now, but I will tell you this. Uh, I understand this battle, and I understand it's the power of God in us that raises this gentleness or love or joy or peace or patience or kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. God can do this in you. If you try to do it by yourself, you're going to fail. I guarantee it. But Christ in you can give this self-control if you go after him with everything you've got. You know, I think counselors are masterful at helping us to self-discovery. They help us, they pull, they peel the onion, peel the onion, and finally you look at it yourself and you say, there's my issue. I'm going to ask you today to try to, you know, not be a counselor, but not like you've been to a counselor, but just say, you know what, I, I know at least one or two of my issues. I want you to be thinking about that because I'm going to ask you to, I'm going to ask you to give that one to God today. You're thinking about that issue. I'll give you some help on some of those. Here's what Fritz Reidenauer on Romans said on how Christian, how to be Christian without being religious. This is his book that he wrote. This is what Swindoll quoted, and I want to quote it to you. What's your problem? Temper? Impatience? Self-control? Sex, honesty, your thought life, pride, laziness, self-centeredness. We all have our skeletons. We don't always stay, they don't always stay in the closet. You want to do right, but, but you do wrong. You want to choose obedience, but you choose sin. Sometimes you, you'd almost swear that there was a split personality, a regular walking civil war. Paul admits 
that he fights this war too. And I already read the passage. Romans chapter 7 is that battle that Paul describes. I would like for you to increase your awareness of your need for self-control. But I don't want you to go do it on your own. I want you to ask God, say, God, I need, I need you to help me. I need you to take over this area of my life. I need the Spirit of God to come in me and, and to increase my gentleness and quench that fire of anger, of temper. I want you to come in and quench my lust and give me a, a heart and a pure heart and a pure eyes and a pure mind. I want you to come in to me and quench. You fill in the blank. I'm going to give you some more. These are some, and then I'm going to give you a little bit of time to think, and then I'm going to ask you to stand and pray, and then we're done. Okay? Here's, here's the uh, seven deadlies. I thought I'd at least go through these. You're already uncomfortable. I might as well make you completely uncomfortable. Don't want to miss any of these. Gula, gluttony. Luxuria, or fornico, which is lust and fornication. Verita, which is avarice, which is greed. Tristelia, which is sorrow, despair, despondency. Ira, which is wrath. Acedia, sloth. Vengloria, vain glory. And if you can't find anything on that list or the list that I had before, then possibly you've got superbia. Just pride. If you got none of those, you got a bigger problem. <laughs> and I can talk with you afterwards. But if one of those came to mind, I'd like for you to stand. We're going to close. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray. You can pray these, these words of mine that I'm going to give you. This is what I prayed when I was going through my, my battle. Of, it, it just went through my mind. I didn't, I didn't read this in a book. This is what I used. And I will tell you, God, use this prayer in my life. And maybe he'll use that prayer with you. And you close your eyes. Maybe you can even hold your hands out and maybe just visibly say, this is the one. This is, maybe it's pride. Maybe it's sloth. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's your temper. Maybe you're impatient. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's you're a lying, you have a lying tongue. You just exaggerate stuff. Maybe it's your thought life. Maybe it's self-centeredness. None of these are attractive. But this is what self-control, this is why he mentions it at the end. This is like, and we think it's a vegetable, but it's actually a fruit, but this is the tomato, right? Put that in your hand, if you will. Either figuratively, you can cup your hands and put it out there and just say, God, this is mine. And then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You can pray with me if you like. I'll give you a moment. I added a little Michael, Ir Michael Irvin to the end of this, but most of all, this is my prayer.
as I like the ending that he, he left his players with. I'm going to leave it with you with today. But here's the prayer. I'm a blood-bought saint of the child of the, as a child of the living God. You can say that in your heart. And by his power and might, I'm sorry to have to inform you that I, with the power of God working in me, must beat you today. I'm a blood-bought saint as a child of the living God. You have no power over me. Anger, sloth, lust. You have no power over me. I'm a blood-bought saint of the child of the living God, and I, by the power of God in me, have got to inform you. You're not going to beat me today. Father in heaven, I pray for anybody that prayed that prayer. Not to do, try to do this on their own. I don't want that to come across. It's got to be Christ in me that battles. He's the one that's got to do it. I do it on my own, I'm going to fail. But God, we've got to acknowledge these things and give them to you. It would be better if we even had someone to walk with us that we could share with, say, hey, man, hold me accountable to this one. God, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for telling us the truth. I'd so much rather deal with this kind of uncomfortable sermon here than stand uncomfortably before you and never dealt with some of these things. So we thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Make sure to check out our companion podcast where we dig deeper into an aspect of each week's sermon with questions and applications that are great for your Bible study or your grow group conversations. Like and subscribe to the channel as well so you don't miss any of our sermons or content. And if you're interested in our church, come check us out at CheyenneHills.org. And remember, be strong and very courageous.